Welcome to Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. And now, here's your host, Work Mom. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for this latest episode of Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. I'm Lori Jo Vest, and I am super excited about our guest today. I saw Bob Cargill on Chris Brogan's Backpack Show about three or four weeks ago, and he just launched his new book. So, Bob, we're going to jump right in. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm delighted to be here, Laurie. Thanks so much for having me and giving me a chance to talk about 20 Jobs, 20 Lessons, my new book. It really goes so, it's, it's so in line with what we do on our podcast here because young professionals need all the advice they can get. I mean, and somebody who's been in business for 20, 30, 40 years can share things that they might not get in college. I mean, they they don't teach the emotional contact sport of business. They teach you business skills, but they don't tell you how to be. Agree? I agree, except for if they're in my class. <laughs> I, exactly. I do. I do go there, and and I think my students will corroborate that at the the three different colleges I will be teaching at this fall. They, I really try, and you're right though. I don't think they teach it at all. They certainly didn't when I was in school, but but I do. I try to make um, my class tied as much to the real world as possible. Agree. I love it. I absolutely love it because it's really important. You can be a really high performer. But if you're, you know, triggered all the time or you're emotionally overwrought, you won't be successful. So before we really dive into your book, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for, for giving me that opportunity. And, and 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 please don't hesitate to interrupt if I go on too long. because It's all good. I've been around a long time, as, as you know, but um, a lifelong marketer. When I was in grad school, which was for television, Brooklyn College, I had been doing some freelance writing, and even prior to that, I had written for my hometown newspaper, the high school newspaper, and I was an undergrad at UMass. I wrote for the newspaper, Daily Collegian, and at Brooklyn College, did a little bit of writing there. And so when I got out of grad school thinking I'm going to go into broadcast TV and radio, I didn't. <laughs> I fell right into marketing because I had the the writing background. I had a portfolio of, of proven work. So there's a lesson right there. If you can have real world work coming out of college, it's going to make it easier for you Huge. to get a job. But my first job was at RCA Direct Marketing, 1983, Manhattan. And that was the record in tape club. And it was classic direct mail, classic direct response advertising and the rest, as they say, is history. I, I have stayed in the marketing industry since then. And I've worked, you know, my first three jobs are at big behemoth, if you will, iconic companies. It was in a row, RCA Direct Marketing, Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers Publishing, and then Meredith Corporation in Des Moines. Then I returned back to the East Coast and started my agency career, mostly small, mid-sized agencies. But the jobs tallied up, up to 18 actually are in the book. And then what I've added is a summer job I had before my professional career. And then a part-time job I had just a few years ago, once I left the full-time corporate world, if you will. But I've been in marketing forever and I've, I've been involved in outside organizations, trade organizations. I've done a lot of speaking, done a ton of writing of articles, my blog. I 
really enjoy what I, I do and, and no regrets. And I, I keep I, I, my motto uh, or mantra is I haven't come this far to only come this far. I'm still um, hustling and have a lot ahead of me. So, so that's yeah. where I'm at today. I took that quote from Chris's show that day and wrote it down and shared it with about 20 other people over the next couple <laughs> of weeks. That's a huge motivating um, statement and mantra, and I absolutely loved it. Now, the the book, what I found really fascinating about, about the book, for one thing, you write just like you speak. And so it's a really fun read. It's super fun read, super easy read. And every lesson, all the lessons are tied to things that you learned in your jobs. And I love the way you dig into, you know, I had this job and I did that and I shouldn't have done that. And I did this because of that. <laughs> and next time I do it differently. And, and you really dig into some of the, the lessons that you learned on your feet, the things that you learned job by job. And it, it's just fascinating because how many jobs did you have? 20, you had to have more than 20. Did you have more um, than 20? Well, well, in my life, I've had more than 20. I was going to say, in it seemed my, like it. <laughs> my professional marketing career, I counted 18 that I included in this book. And like I God. say, I added two uh, special ones, surprise jobs, one from when I was a teenager and, and one from just a few years ago, non-marketing, but I thought that tied into lessons learned, if you will. Yeah, you don't have to be a marketer to enjoy this book. But if you are a marketer, there's really good information. Um, moving into a couple of things that we talked about in preparation for this episode, um, the value of networking, that is written into this so many different times. And tell me about why it's so important for a young professional to get involved in those industry organizations. What did you get out of it? Yeah, one of the best decisions I made early in my career was to join the New England Direct Marketing Association in 1990. And I'm still a member. In fact, I'm on the board. And and it changed my career in terms of the visibility, the education, the exposure, the, the people, the, the friends I made. So I learned early on, and I was very fortunate to work for companies that supported this, the the benefit of, of you know, going to these events after work or at lunch or for breakfast whenever they had the meetings where you would learn from guest speakers, experts, people with more experience and frankly expertise than, than I might have had at that time. You mm -hmm. learn from them. And again, you meet people and those people end up, you know, turning into opportunities down the road, not even a question. You help them, they help you. And leadership skills when you join these organizations. They are volunteer organizations. So today um, I'm on the board with NEDMA, but I'm also now president of AMA, Boston American Marketing Association, another related trade group, marketing related. And, and you get the leadership opportunities because they're volunteer. And if you're willing to step up, chances are over time, you'll have the chance to rise right to the top in these these organizations, unlike, say, the job world, it's not that easy <laughs> to rise to the top. Hard work doesn't always, you know, raising your hand doesn't always translate into becoming president. But frankly, my experience is over time, any volunteer group, if you work hard enough and stick around, you're going to get to chance to, to lead that group. Oh, yeah. And those leadership skills will be visible to all the people you encounter in that network you create for that group. 
So you're demonstrating, you're growing leadership skills, you're demonstrating leadership skills, and you're building your personal brand with a whole group of people in your industry. I mean, it's, it can't be overstated. Yeah, you're learning and benefiting in ways that are not possible nine to five on the job, but then nine to five on the job, they see what you're picking up out, outside the the four walls of the company, the organization, and they say, wow, this person might deserve an opportunity we, we didn't realize because look at what this person is doing outside of our company in the industry. So, so yes, it, it leads to it go exponential number of opportunities. And, and frankly, as my book points out, perhaps for some, <laughs> like me, almost too many, meaning temptation um, to take advantage of every single opportunity that came my way was, was hard to resist. And, and that resulted in all those jobs um, and opportunities. But I love that. I love, you know, reaching for the brass ring and, and just, you know, trying to climb that corporate ladder as high as possible. I have a quote on my um, Instagram account that says, it's from Og Mandino, and it says, I will strain my potential until it begs for mercy. That sounds fitting. You know, it sounds like it describes you, Bob. <laughs> Just going to keep on stretching. <laughs> that's an amazing quote. I've never heard that, and that is me. Uh, till it hurts, yes. Um, <laughs> till it hurts. <laughs> personally and professionally. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of network, I'm going to drop a little hint in here to to the young professionals. When I got out of college, um, I graduated oh, 1986, and my first boss would send me on these networking ventures. He'd say, okay, here's this Ad Craft Club of Detroit um, event coming up next week. And if you tell me that you didn't sit down next to, insert name of high-level agency potential client here, I'm going to be so disappointed. And so I'd go to the event and I'd be just terrified. I mean, I was just out of college and here's this, you know, woman who's 20 years older than me and way successful, but you bet I'd find a way to sit next to her. I'd be yeah. at her table so that I didn't have to go back to work the next morning and tell my boss. So I encourage young professionals, not only net to network, but be the person that sticks around afterwards and meets the speaker, be the person that sits at the table with all the past presidents of the organization you know, be the person that really kind of inserts yourself into those places that you might not be totally comfortable because the discomfort is where you'll stretch and grow, right? I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, put take yourself out of your comfort zone, come, go up to the speaker afterwards, exchange business cards, connect on LinkedIn. Not even a question. That's the way to do it. Same with all the leaders of that group, because if you hang around these people over time, you, you'll become one of those people. So talking a little bit about communication skills, this ties into the networking because you learn a lot of those when you're in those situations, you'll be invited to introduce a speaker or to, you know, get up and give a presentation. I was president of the Women's Advertising Club of Detroit. I think it was about five years out of college. And it was, I was up there at the podium, you know, introducing speakers and presenting, and it helped teach me how to develop those skills. And so how, what other ways are there to develop those communication skills or what was your experience in doing that? Yeah, I had what is not uncommon for a lot of people, the typical fear of public speaking when I was younger in high school and, and in my late teen years and, and even into my early 20s. But I, I did a few things about that. I confronted that fear head on 
I took a public speaking course in college. Number one, that was a big game changer that, that set me, you know, in the right direction. And then I took Toastmasters, which is a public speaking organization. Yeah. It's worldwide. It's still around and I'm guessing is, is uh, vibrant and, and beneficial and as active popular as ever. And they help you work that discomfort through. <laughs> yeah, you do it over and over again. And you it becomes almost, for me, and I know others, and I'm not exaggerating, like an addiction, meaning you grow to love that high that you get when you're in front of a group. So it's almost the opposite of being afraid of oh, yeah. speaking. You, you, absolutely. you yearn for it. I um, love it. I absolutely love it. And I used to be a deer in the headlights. And I got a couple of really good pieces of advice. Somebody said to me once, your audience wants you to be successful. They're on your side. Yeah. And that was amazing. It was like, oh, really? Wow, that's a new way of thinking about it. They're not looking to, you know, to tear you down. You know, they're not. And also the thing that's really interesting is that as when you're speaking, if you look at your audience and look at your job as being there to convey something valuable to them, being of service, it's a whole lot easier. And it takes the focus off of you so that you're not gazing at your belly button all worried about what they're thinking. No, exactly. It's a state of mind and, and realizing, you know, you're, they're looking up to you, uh, some case, literally, you know, you're on a platform or, or stage. Um, but they really are, admiring you and cheering for you whether it's out loud or not and you have to embrace that and 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 use that to propel you to successful heights oh absolutely absolutely so you've done a really good job bob of your personal branding and visibility um what would you suggest a young person just getting out of college I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. You've got how many videos out there on YouTube and how many blogs Hundreds, and all kinds 600 of content. videos. Yeah. Blogs and I know since you're 2004. on, you're probably on podcasts now all the time with the new book as well. I'm sure. Quite a but bit. For someone just starting out, what would you suggest they do for building, you know, their online personal brand? I mean, everybody has one. Everybody needs one, right? Yeah. They have the advantage. We didn't. Right, Laurie, when we were getting out of college. Um, oh, yeah. I, you know, graduated even earlier than you, and it was, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit, but electric typewriter only, very, very pre-internet days. But now there's no excuse, um, frankly, for students not to build an online. We didn't have the online back then. So build their own personal brand and using online technology. That's how you do it. I mean, you can do it offline as well, but Let's stick, if you will, to online, digital, social media. LinkedIn profile is is number one, and you can start that as early as when you're a freshman in, in college because you can put internships on that and special projects and connect with people like your professors and companies where you want to work someday. So, so LinkedIn, but also why not get comfortable in front of the camera, do some YouTube videos, comfortable behind the microphone, do some podcasts, you know, get on every social media channel and show off your knowledge, become a thought leader at a very early stage in your life. And that's how you're going to separate yourself from the competition. So I'd strongly recommend trying all the different social media channels and 
you know, yes, personally speaking, you're going to be using them maybe anyways, but use them for professional reasons too. And maybe some, in some places exclusively. So, you know, Hey, I'm a marketing student and this is what I'm learning in marketing. And this is case studies. This is my, my, everything I'm learning on a daily basis or weekly basis. You know, I started my blog in 04. Again, we weren't able to back when I was much, much younger, but I started the blog as soon as that technology, shortly after that technology became available. It was a game changer for me because it it profiled me and does to this day profile me online so people can look me up and say, hey, what does Bob know? Uh, mm. Oh, Bob knows this and I don't. I think I'll hire him. That's how it should be for everybody. It, it can right. be that way for everybody. It's a level playing field. And even a blog, I think if you have, uh, you know, if you're a marketing student and a particular type of marketing is your niche and you're really excited about it, write about it, write about it, think about it, write thoughtful pieces. And what that does, I know I wrote a book back in 2008 with a co-author and we started our blog way before we started the book because they want you to have a platform. They want you to have an audience in place. And the blogs get better and better and better. So you go back and look at your old blogs and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I wrote that and put that out there. But over time, just simply by doing it over and over and over again, you become a better writer. And there's nobody in this world that doesn't need to be a better writer. Right? Yeah, you, you, you. We talked about public speaking, same with written communication skills, what you just said. You know, a blog over time, you through doing it over and over, practice makes perfect. And and you'll, you know, let's strive for excellence, not perfection. But but so practice makes excellence. How's that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you yeah. will become an excellent writer. And, and, and in many cases, don't even worry about that. Just put down your thoughts. In today's day and age, no one's really looking at as, as critically as maybe they did 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, certainly when I was coming up, I think um, we were a little more critical about the written word. Nowadays, people do write the way they speak conversationally. So just put it down. What you're mm -hmm. learning, um, that's social media anyways, being social, writing like you, you sound, writing what you're learning, writing what you're doing. I just did a video recently um, about what's your current situation. And I said, that's social media 101. Tell people what you're doing, where you're doing it. Like, hey, I just was on a podcast with Laurie. Um, stay tuned, you know, for the link. You know, that's my current situation. And that is what students and anybody can do to have a visible presence, have a conspicuous presence on social media so that they will be found by others and therefore, you know, connecting with others and perhaps getting opportunities they wouldn't get otherwise. Remember back in the day when we used to call that staying top of mind? Yeah. <laughs> it still applies. It still applies. If you're out there on those social channels, um, I'm teaching a social media course this fall. It starts in a couple of weeks. And one of the things all my students are going to have to do is get on LinkedIn, create your profile and start engaging, go out there, start sharing things. And just by being there, you start to create relationships with the people you're connected to. And over time, you'll see people that are more like your tribe, the people that comment on your things. And you start building connections and an audience. And by the time you get out of college, you've got a little bit of a head start. So I think that online personal branding is a huge part of 
um, what students and young professionals need to do today. And Bob, again, Bob's book, I'm going to keep telling you about his book, the way you wrote it and the way it sounds like you speak, that's what people love on social media and on the internet. We all have, um, you know, social is for social, being social with each other and being connected to other people. And the formal business writing has its place. But on social and on the internet, where you're trying to create connection and relationships, writing like you speak is really a, an excellent approach. So don't be intimidated that you have to be a perfect writer, you know, to put yourself out there. You don't. Um, you just have to be, you know, be interesting. You want to be compelling. You want to have some interesting ideas. Um, but don't worry about having to be perfect. Right? Yeah, be be yourself authentic and, and transparent and 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 you know about the book the feedback consistent feedback i'm getting is what you said that it it's easy to read it's sounds like me if you know me and it's a conversation <laughs> yeah and i believe strongly in that so it's not a coincidence you know the book strategically or, or just naturally yeah that is how i write and that's how i encourage clients to write and that does tie back to my earlier point maybe perhaps better articulating things is we're not as formal, I think you used yeah. that word, as we were back in the day and use that to your advantage. So, you know, I said that practice makes perfect. Forget that. Throw that out there. No, practice makes um good enough. Know, makes you better. Yeah, makes you good enough. Makes you better. And 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 you'll you'll find your groove, your rhythm, your cadence, and your zone where people can relate and what you say will resonate with them. And suddenly you find yourself with all these followers and fans and rest is history. <laughs> That's right. That's how it works. So going from having lots of fans and things, this makes sense to, to turn over to this topic. Um, a lot of us end up with imposter syndrome. And one of the things that we really talk about a lot on work mom says is the emotional contact sport of business. And Bob, you have, I know you have a lot of thoughts and a lot of really solid advice for people to deal with the emotional side of business from developing a thick skin and, you know, those kinds of things. But let's talk a little bit about that. How do you tell people um, in your own experience based on your career and all the jobs, what do we do with the emotional side of our personalities in work at work? Yeah. So not even a question, my book, addresses this or, or shares my, my own experiences. Work can be tough. Business can be very tough. I Again, I think it's softening up in a good way, I think, oh, yeah. I hope, um, today versus, you know, 30 years ago. Um, but it can be a lot of hours. It can be demanding and not everybody you work with for, et cetera, is, is going to be perhaps is, is um, forgiving, compassionate, et cetera, as you like, um, because it can be competitive. It, it's business. So you do have to have that thick skin and understand that it's not personal. So if there's criticism or failure, learn from it and, and pick yourself back up more times than you fall down. Again, I think nowadays, Mental health is being addressed in, in a very, very good way versus it might not have been addressed at all, you know, 20, 30 years ago uh, in the workplace. And that's a good thing because you want to be 
so as much as I say, develop a thick skin and, and realize it's going to be a battle sometimes, you don't want to have to change yourself too much. You don't want to feel like you have to put on your armor to go to work. It shouldn't be that way. So, no. so ideally, be yourself, work where in a culture that hires you for who you are and look for who you are in others and who hires you in the company's culture so that then you can express yourself and be yourself. And that's when you're going to work your best. So it's funny, my advice to people today would be probably different than it would have been 30 years ago, if, if you know what I mean. I would have said, oh, put yeah. on that, you know, coat of armor and, and um, <laughs> it's a battle every day. And just fight Nowadays, it. Just fight. I hope it's not like that. I believe it's not like that. And you shouldn't have to live like that. Yeah, I I tell people if it's if you really experience severe discomfort the off at the office, and your therapist has told you it's not you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes it's them, and sometimes you got to go. And you know, we talk about that in some of the other episodes that there are toxic workplaces that may trigger you to the point where you think it's all your fault, and that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes the workplace is just toxic. So if it's really not working for you, move on, find that better place. You know, sometimes the, the culture of the company isn't suitable for you. Um, and you'll know it. I think, you know, it when, when you've come into one of those places within six to nine months, you're like, Oh, this isn't working for me. Um, I usually suggest if you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach and you keep trying nine months later, you're still going to be there wondering why you didn't leave nine months earlier. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was leaving that, that in some cases, um, you know, early in my tenure, um, it wasn't always if, if, if not at all, because I wasn't comfortable where I was, it was always that temptation thing. Um, and I share this in the book because of all my networking, um, I was always looking at the grass as green. I mean, I'm happy here, but I might be even happier there. And that, there was falling into my lap constantly because I was networking so much. Um, you know, I was always being invited to the party and that made me feel popular and I couldn't say no. <laughs> right. Oh, I get that. Well, and the thing is that when you're younger, one of the ways that you grow in your career is to move jobs. I mean, you may not get a promotion at the company where you currently are because they know your strengths, but they also know your weaknesses. So sometimes they won't promote you, but you can go to a competitor and get that promotion by moving on to a new company. So it's, you know, I tell people when you're, when you're early in your career, you know, I wouldn't advise that you leave in less than a year, but you know, don't feel bad if you only stay two or three years at a job, because sometimes you have to leave to get that promotion and keep that climb going to get where you want to get. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that was the case with many of my moves, mm -hmm. uh, you know, moving to a new job where the title was was greater or the pay was a little more or they had a fancier office, um, you know, or it was doing more what I wanted to do. I think I constantly was reinventing myself. So mm -hmm. I was quickly maxing out where, where I was in terms of challenges and variety, et cetera. So I was always looking for that new, new, new challenge, uh, more variety, and, and what was, I felt coming down the pike in my industry, you know, 
more technology, more social media, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah, and things do change rapidly. So a little bit, I, I'm going to ask you to tell the story because you told it to us in our prep call and you also write about it in the book, how a selection of footwear changed your career yeah. path forever. That's <laughs> <laughs> just a great threw, story. As you were saying that, I'm wondering, which story <laughs> is this? Um, yeah, thank you for asking. That is a classic story. It's funny, I joke with my wife because um, is my book uh, uh, far short of a bestseller as of today. Maybe maybe this podcast will will change that, Laurie. Um, well, I may put it in my class uh, requirements ooh, in my syllabus. That would make me so happy. I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> that they let me do that honestly, really, because oh, it's a be marketing so and advertising class at the College for Creative Studies. So yeah, yeah. well, I, I, the so the joke with my wife is, you know, I dream of you know this book being turned into a movie and. Because I have a very creative mind. I always have. And I, I talk about that in the book. I think very, very big. This would be a classic scene. It would be a comical scene. Um, <laughs> me being interviewed. Um, thinking I am, you know, going to ace the interview, which I think I might have. We're going back to, um, geez, yeah, early, mid-80s. Okay, this is a teachable moment. That's what I like to call a teachable moment. A teachable moment here, people. Time for another teachable moment. And I did learn to dress, I think, real, real well, because a boss, even before my professional career, when I wrote for the newspaper in my hometown, he brought me on a sales call. I was just a writer, and he didn't like the way I was dressed, so he, he handed me the book Dress for Success. Oh, that's an oldie Malloy. but a goodie, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we, all, we all read it back then. Yeah, that'll tell you. Yeah, so again, you can relate, not maybe mm -hmm. all your listeners, but if they Google that book, it's... It was a classic, but I must have forgot or skipped the pages regarding what shoes to wear because <laughs> I did shop at Brooks Brothers, Macy's, Gimbel's when I was in New York. I had really nice suits. For some reason, I was partial to boots, not um, tie shoes. And I had an interview at a very well-known, big, iconic ad agency. It would have been my second job out of college. Um, and the feedback I got, it was for an account executive job and I was a copywriter. So in retrospect, I think this was a good thing. Yeah, um, it was. It was. Yeah. Cause <laughs> it, I would have been, it would have changed my career entirely, but the feedback I got was uh, from a third party, not right from the place I interviewed was you, you know, ace the interview, something like this. Okay. My, my memory. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, I definitely remember the part about the the footwear. But you wore boots. Why would you wear those cowboy boots? Uh, you know that you know you didn't look like an account executive. So I didn't look like a suit. I didn't dress, even though I was wearing a suit. I was wearing. You were trying, but you just couldn't quite hit. You couldn't get that last bit of creativity out of your system <laughs> before the interview. <laughs> the dingo cowboy boots, which I, I loved it. and thought was so cool but not for an interview for an account executive. Um, they were too think cool owned... for the account side. <laughs> Ever since then though, you know, I've always owned more than one pair of tie shoes that are real classy and, and maybe conservative, but traditional for, you know, important business meetings. Um, I still like boots now and then, you know, but for more casual settings, but all that said, dress codes have changed nowadays. There really aren't dress codes. So I Thank don't know. God. If, yeah. <laughs> Can you but imagine? Yeah, that's the story. Uh, yeah. I ask young people today, I've got a couple of young people on our team and, you know, can you imagine getting up in the morning an hour early so that you could 
you know, do your whole routine, have your makeup on, dress to the nines, drive 45 minutes or take the train, however you get to work, stay there all day long and get home at about 630 exhausted. And they're like, no, why would you do that? Because they work at home. They work in a coffee shop. They're remote writers. And a lot of creative people are really enjoying that ability to, to be remote. And it's, I think, opening up a lot more um, opportunities for the agencies that are gonna, going to actually allow the remote situation. You're going to get great talent. You know, the talent that you can, if you can work remote, let them work remote. Because I know I found some really great talent that uh, they're totally not interested in nine to five at the office. They're just not into that. What do you think yeah, about that, that transition? No, that is what's happening. Not not even a question um, is people aren't, you know, commuting as much and they're working from home and they have more time to get work done as well as enjoy work-life balance, which is great. Um, totally contrary to <laughs> most of my career. Um, you said 6.30. I used to get home like at 8.30, 9, 9.30. I, and I'm not kidding. I worked insane hours. Um and prided myself maybe foolishly on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel it helped me professionally, but there is the toll personally, which can lead to, um, you know, emotional health challenges when you're so burnt out. Um, frankly, you know, um, you know, it, it, being a writer, a copywriter, creative director with deadlines and people, you know, constantly approving or disapproving of your work for, you know, that many number of years, it's a lot of pressure. People who aren't in the business don't realize that. Yeah, it's very, there's a lot of critiques. I I laugh about the 24 revisions on a social media content calendar. That was the highest number I'd ever had, 24 revisions. You can't be precious with your work. Once you do it, it's not yours anymore. It belongs to the company and the team. And that's a hard lesson. There's a story in the book (laughs) where, um, so you didn't ask me to retell this one, but I'm going to volunteer to retell it where I literally cried. Um, there's a couple of times I think I talk about crying, but I mean, I was bawling when a client, when I had my own business in the mid nine, early mid nineties, re- rejected my work or I can't remember if they rejected or just made me, I think they did totally reject it. And it was a big name Oof. client. I thought I did like a fantastic job and I may have, I think, I think I, I, think I did <laughs> to this day. But for some reason, I didn't like it. And I, I went and closed my bedroom door and got on the bed and cried for, you know, a while. Um, and I don't cry that often, hardly ever. Probably and, a healthy response, though, you know, <laughs> to vent all that, all that emotion before it, it that got, or, you know, you yeah. can hold it in. <laughs> yeah. It's either so, that or a whole bunch of cocktails, you know, and I yeah, think it's exactly, probably healthier exactly. to cry it out. <laughs> I might have had the cocktails afterwards, but. Exactly. But, so it can take its toll. It's tough. It is the tough part of business and there's where you learn, you know, not to take it that seriously. And and frankly, again, hopefully it isn't that serious all around nowadays. Cause uh, yeah, there were some days I, I, you know, I don't know how I made it through the day. Yeah. I mean, your career is just like any other aspect of life. I like to tell young people that there's this whole like roller coaster to it. And so after 20 or 30 years, you're just like, all right, bring it on chaos. I'm, I'm here for it. You know, if a client, I, I had a situation earlier in my career where I sold an $87,000 contract. So excited. Yeah. They signed it. 
by the time I got back to the office, I had a message. They decided not to go forward with it (laughs) within a half an hour. And those kinds of things happen. And in business, you've got to be able to, to have a strategic, more strategic mindset to know that that is work. It doesn't mean you failed. It means something changed. It's not personal. Like you said, it's not personal. And the strategic thinking, and if you just, over time, you you practice and practice with thinking strategically, and it gets easier and easier to go, this isn't personal, this is not personal, it's not about me, so that you can move forward without, you know, dipping into some emotional crisis, um, because that is definitely not productive. So the last thing we have here, we have a couple of things. One is separating yourself from the competition with the quality of your work. I find it really interesting that the high performers are seem to be high performers naturally. Do you find that? Yeah. I mean, I was like I am to this day since I was a kid, meaning um, I played sports. I'm, I'm a runner, a marathon runner. And I was a runner when, when, you know, I was old school expression. My wife would be laughing if she heard me say this, but it's a line my dad always said. I was knee high to a grasshopper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's an old Teeny. school expression, but I was running competitively, meaning I loved running and I loved sports. And I took that drive into the workforce. So natural, yeah, instinctive, yeah. There's the long hours, there's the both the sprint and the marathon. That was me. And, you know, so I was talking earlier, we were about conversational writing. Well, whatever writing it takes to succeed, because I wrote, you know, journalism before my career in marketing, tons, obviously, of direct mail, print ads, email, et cetera, et cetera. And I took great, great pride. I was meticulous. I worked long hours, just like I did in my book, um, you know, three and a half years to from beginning to end. Um, you know, I won awards, that kind of thing. I put all that at the beginning of the book before I start spilling my guts about how hard business is, but I've had a lot of highlights, a lot of triumphs and it's all due to hard, hard work and, and almost less being gifted with natural talent than being gifted with natural drive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And a commitment to doing really good work, like a commitment to it. And I think that's where you can differentiate yourself is by saying, you know, I will do my very best work when I'm at the office. I won't call it in. I won't, never, you know, never. never call it in because if you call it in, the guy sitting next to you that wants your job, he's not calling it in. Yeah. He's, you, you know, he's going to he's looking for you and going trying to do better than you, right? Yeah, you you have to like you said at the beginning of this this part of our conversation to separate yourself from the competition, you you have to deliver more and and more and better. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and if you call it in, you'll be called out <laughs> <laughs> and, and walked out. Yeah. yeah, that happens too. And this is, that's, that's a really good tie into the next story. I have a little story here and then we're going to talk about some reinvention. Okay. This is a teachable moment. That's what I like to call it. Teachable moment. It's a teachable moment here, people. Time for another teachable moment. I, um, 2011, I'd been running a television production studio for eight years and, or eight years, 11 years. 
And my office mate came in one day and he was talking about, you know, getting fired and how he'd gotten fired and everybody gets fired. And I think we'd heard something that, you know, everybody gets fired at least three times and I hadn't been fired yet. And I said, huh, wonder when that's going to happen to me. I haven't had it happen yet. Within one week, I was let go. And it, I'm telling you, it will happen to everybody. Things happen. You will get let go. You will get laid off. You will, you know, have a boss that just doesn't care for you or a coworker that, you know, gets you in trouble. Those things happen. And when it does, you may be forced to completely reinvent yourself. And I moved out of video production and into social media in 2011. And it was a perfect time for it. Had I not gotten fired, I I, sh- I needed to get fired. Let's just say that. I had been telling my husband that I felt like a 10-year-old in a six-year-old's dress. Too tight, not quite fitting, kind of uncomfortable, but I knew, I knew the job. I loved the people, and I probably would have stayed longer than I needed to. So when I got let go, it was devastating emotionally, of course, And it led me to where I am now. And I love social media because I'm so social. I love talking to people, meeting people. People are like, to me, I just love people. And so social is a real natural place for me and even more natural than what I was doing in production. So talk about how you've had to reinvent yourself, Bob. Yeah. So uh, I I wouldn't say fire, but I've been laid off several times Um, and, and, each time was was interesting and and disappointing and a learning experience um and so there's forced reinvention if you will um you know all of a sudden what do i do next um and there were there have been and continue to be many occasions where i proactively reinvent myself um it's important so i would say that is one reason i probably one big reason I may have left some of the jobs I left because I felt it was important to reinvent myself and to stay current, mm-hmm. even though I probably could have stayed and been very successful and maybe stayed there forever and still be there today. Um, so whether you're forced into reinvention, being laid off or fired um, or what have you, or choose um, to move on, I think the reinvention is is critical and will be more so going forward because things are changing at a far um, quicker rate in this world than ever, technology, et cetera. You know, I think of music and I think of David Bowie, the rock musician. Um, look him up if anyone's listening and doesn't know of him. Um, that would and be really others. sad if they didn't know who David Bowie was, but I'm sure there are some that don't. Well, young, younger people might not, um, <laughs> yeah. but he reinvented himself constantly. And a lot of great artists do, musicians, actors, TV stars, um, you know, Rihanna, a lot, uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, uh, Justin Bieber. I mean, they, they all constantly are changing and that's how you succeed. And if you can learn from them, you know, that's at a very, very, very high level. I mean, I'm talking, these people are billionaires, if you don't realize it. Oh, yeah. At a very young age, because they're mastering one thing, then they go do something else, because one thing leads to another. So 
wicked, wicked, wicked small scale. That's what I've tried to do. And I don't think I've been emulating them. They weren't even around when I was younger, but I've always felt it's important to be changing and growing and evolving. And um, that makes life more interesting, if nothing else. It absolutely <laughs> does. I, I refer to that as a growth mindset. And if you can have a growth mindset, you will be successful. And what, you know, I usually tie that to when it's time to leave a job. A lot of times you'll know it's time to leave because you're not learning anymore. You're not learning. You're not growing. You're just, I mean, you might be enjoying it. Yeah. If you're not learning and growing, eh, should you still be there? I don't know. Well, real quickly in my book, I do talk about the sadness of leaving several, if not <laughs> the majority of those jobs that I left because you know, it wasn't easy to understand why I wanted to leave, but I think you might have just um, hit the nail on the head for me, meaning I have been someone who immerses myself so deeply in something. Maybe I'm learning this stuff quickly and 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 fatigue, you know, in terms of, you know, I've learned it, I've done it, and what's next? <laughs> yeah, that that and that's a wonderful way to live. Trust me, I'm 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 one of those. I've always got 16 things happening because it's just fun. I mean, we get one life. I want to squeeze everything I can out of it. I At this point, too, it's really interesting looking back on your career. And your book allows someone to look back on your career through your eyes. And it's just fascinating. I so enjoyed it. And I think that one of the things being older, you kind of go, okay, what was important and what wasn't? And you really get a handle on what is important and how much of the things you wish you might have just let go in the day to day, just not let it bother you, not let, you know, not just let things go. And I, I really enjoyed the book. And I think everyone will enjoy this book. Um, the fact that you're looking back at your career through your, you know, your current lens and digging into what you learned, what happened, how you felt about it, how you felt about it before you left, after you left, how you feel about it 30 years later. I mean, it's fascinating. And I want to ask, um, as we wrap up, thank you so much, Bob, but I want to give you some chances to talk about where to find the book. Where would you like people to buy the book? What's the best place for them yeah, to go thank, to? Thanks for asking, Laurie. And the fact is, there's only one place to buy the book because I self-published via Amazon um, everybody knows Amazon. That's where the book is. It's in paperback format and uh, Kindle ebook format. And you can download it immediately or, or order the paperback, which I think will arrive very, very quickly because Amazon's phenomenal and in, in how they operate. Um, so Amazon. So Bob, where can people get in touch with you? Thanks for asking, Laurie. I appreciate it. You mentioned your students earlier on that they're going to be on LinkedIn. If they're interested and, and want to reach out to me, please do. Anybody, please do connect with me on LinkedIn. It's it's Bob Cargill. Just look up my name, B-O-B-C-A-R-G-I-L-L. -L. And looking up my name pretty much anywhere on social media, you will be able to find me. I am very active on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Facebook, what have I missed? Um, I even am on TikTok occasionally. I do a lot of motivational videos. Yeah, so awesome. YouTube, look me up. Um, and I have my website, thebobcargill.com. So uh, it's pretty much Bob Cargill everywhere, but my website is thebobcargill.com. And I am a content creator, so you're going to get you know regular, fresh variety of content from me, and I share other people's content as well. 
Wonderful. Well, I I am looking forward to hearing your book on Audible. Yeah, you got to make <laughs> that think, happen. <laughs> you need to do that. I think that would be awesome because, I mean, you just have a really wonderful way of of speaking, and I think uh, people wow. would really enjoy it there. You so, know, the people have told me. I got to look into that, yes. Yeah. Do you have any last pieces of advice for our audience before we wrap up? I'll, I'll end with, with one, and it's how I autographed my, my book recently, and that is it's lesson five in my book, and that is believe in yourself. Be, it's important, and, and because early on in my career, personally and professionally, I don't think I, frankly, believed in myself enough, and I learned that over the years. Um, and if you believe in yourself, anything is possible. Um, I learned it soon enough, but I could have learned it younger. So everybody believe in yourself and believe that you can do anything you set your mind and heart to, and you will achieve it. That is amazing advice. Thank you so much, Bob. I am just so excited to release (laughs) this episode. And if you have any questions for me, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm an open networker there, Lori Jo Vest. And please visit our website at workmomsays.com. We do blogs there. I have an intake form. I would love to hear from you if you're interested in appearing on the show or you have a suggested guest or even just a question you'd like us to address. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Work Mom Says. Don't be an idiot. For more information, you can email Work Mom at L-O-R-I WorkMomSays.com. That's Lori at WorkMomSays.com. And remember, <sighs> don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot.